0: Welcome to this ground up. Blockchain technology that provides individuals and entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia a unique way of digitally recording communication, collaboration, content, and contracts in a way that seems to be secure, safe, transparent, auditable, and efficient is now moving beyond proof of concepts to production pilots. While blockchain technology developments, use rates and confidence have increased across nations, there is also a growing concern that while the technology offers great promise, the lack of effective security, privacy, identity authentication and defined interoperability standards are creating complex challenges to scaling up the use of the technology on a global scale. As a result, it is important to understand and evaluate various technical as well as non-technical issues associated with developing, governing, and applying blockchains and distributed ledger technologies. And of course, clearly the development of global standards with effective security measures and controls will allow blockchain community not only scalability of blockchain initiatives but also bring security support privacy authenticate identity legalize smart contracts and bring effective governance and sustainability for blockchain technology to further establishing market confidence in the use and application of the technology to discuss the blockchain standards and security management further, I'm delighted to welcome James Drake to Risk Roundup. James is the co-founder and CEO of Ember Mining based in United States. Welcome James, we're delighted to have you on Risk Roundup.
1: Oh, hello, thank you for having me, Jayseri. This is uh, our second opportunity to speak and I'm looking forward to it as much as the first time. Uh, so much has changed and over the last, Well, uh, I think it's been a little over 14 months since we last chatted. and. And uh, and I'm really excited to get into it and discuss it with you.
0: Wonderful, James. So while blockchain and distributed ledger technologies, they both present far-reaching opportunities for everyone, even individuals as well as entities across nations and all its components. What is the key to utilizing blockchain technologies based on the experience that you have had over you the know, last few years?
1: Well, it's interesting because, you know, so much has changed in terms of the the number of individuals that are involved in blockchain and distributed uh, ledger technologies over the last couple of years. Uh, the numbers have literally exploded, not just in the United States, but globally. Um, I, one of the things that we touched on in our last conversation is about the ability for distributed ledger technology and blockchain technology to transcend borders, transcend culture, transcend language, transcend religion and all these various things that that hinder us and keep things, you know, barriers between us and communicating and and properly engaging in commerce. Um, But the more interesting thing that has really become effective over the last year or so is the idea of how token economies that are utilized within these blockchains, that are utilized within these distributed ledger systems can help create better security for individuals that are participating in these networks. And that all the things that you mentioned, transparency and the ability to um, uh, to, to create unique uh, security structures or financial structures, actually also present their own type of security challenges. Because, you know, of course, transparency goes both ways. I mean, on one side, you get to see everything somebody's doing, But on the other side, you get to see what everybody is doing. Not everybody wants everybody to know what they're doing with their funds. So the transparency sometimes gets muddled. The idea of transparency gets muddled because a lot of people think that transparency means that they don't have any right to privacy. When the reality is is that these token systems and these distributed ledger systems actually present an opportunity to create truly uh private and transparent so if it becomes necessary for us to be able to do investigative work in a particular account or on a particular level with an individual it makes it easier to do so but it still requires you know the 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 legal structures to be done properly like you have to have a warrant you have to have a certain legal authority to be able to see all the information
0: Sure, sure. I mean, that is one aspect, but also, I mean, it depends on whether we are dealing with a public blockchain or a private blockchain. That depending on what kind of blockchain we are talking about, there will be different level of privacy, you know, embedded into that. Different level of identity authentication embedded into that. So there are a lot of different variables we are talking about here. But since blockchain industry is now moving beyond right. proof of concepts to production pilot with business cases that have been built across, you know, nations and all its components, even for governments or you name, you know, different industries or different supply chain, different processes. To identify and evaluate just how beneficial the technology is, everybody is, you know, trying to see what it, you know, would bring this digital platform, how it would make their processes and how it would make their initiatives function better for the digital globally. So. When they are all trying to do this, trying to evaluate the benefits of this technology, what seems to be essential for this technology to become the real catalyst of this digital transformation and what you thought, you know, in your last few years of experience, that what was essential for blockchain technology to become the real catalyst of what you were trying to achieve through your initiative?
1: Yeah, by by education, it's just plain and simple. educating people. Most people, there's a lot of disinformation out there about how this is getting used by folks. There's also some legitimate concerns that have to be addressed. Um, I think the, the the one of the things that has created a lot of the issue with education is because of how broad and technical the subject matter is not everybody understands the technological structures that make blockchain technology or token economies work and by educating people you're educating them on something that is completely alien to most people and, and the reality is is that most people don't need to know that but they're being told that they should know that and so there's this there's this weird education gap that occurs there's a lot of people that know exactly what they're doing with this and have had an extensive amount of experience to understand the true dangers, the true opportunities that exist within blockchain and so the security around it. But probably more importantly is the reason why they exist at all. A lot of people are saying, well, we can already do some of these things without blockchain. Why do we need to make it more difficult? Why do we need to add these other things? And then, of course, there's the scams and the, and the, and the, um, um the, the bad actors that are out there that are trying to take advantage of this lack of education. So in their role, they're incentivized by increasing the amount of confusion, increasing the amount of concern that people have. I believe that one of the things that, like what you are doing here with podcasts such as this, is providing a, a platform for people to be able to truly educate people on the issues that are at hand, the things that they truly have to know and understand.
0: Sure. Well, you, you mentioned that uh, there were legitimate concerns that you know, people are concerned apart from education and awareness. So what are the concerns and what have been the concerns that you have noticed you know, over the years?
1: The biggest concern is, it's, is that it has to do with people's money. I mean, you know, the reality is, is that there's so much uncertainty in the world as far as financial systems are concerned. You see what happened in Venezuela, for example, where you know, overnight the, the national currency was worthless. And, and you know, this is a country that you know, has enormous amount of wealth in oil, for example, but has no capability being able to manage their own economy for the benefit of their citizens and most of that has to do with the lack of trust in the currency that is being backed by the government this is where i think the biggest concern of awareness needs to go is that none of these individual cryptocurrencies is trying to replace let's say the us dollar or anything else or the you know german um uh was it the Juman ruble or you know the the euro or what have you nothing is trying to replace these currencies they're trying to actually provide new structures to make it easier to understand what is backing these currencies what kind of value is put behind them and i think that that's ultimately the awareness is most people look at something like bitcoin and say why is it worth $6,000 or $7,000? Or why is it one day worth $15,000 and the next day it's worth 4000 or $8,000? You know, there's so much uncertainty on why these things are fluctuating in cost. And the big reason why is because most people are looking at these currencies as investment vehicles, not as actual um, uh, currencies that are used in a functioning cycling ecosystem. And that's one of the, the the messages that Embermine is trying to put out there, is that the role of these various cryptocurrencies is not to take them, buy them, and hold them, although some can be. Their role is to be used, to have a utilization, to have a purpose, to be able to take one particular token and be able to extrapolate it into a into a positive benefit on the other side. And... Yes. And I think that that's the message that gets lost often. Is most people are told hold your tokens, don't sell your tokens, don't sell your tokens, and buy more, buy more, buy more. And that is not the that the right way to create a, a properly functioning ecosystem is where everyone just buys and nobody utilizes anything. And so I think the last year has been this big eye-opening event where people starting to realize in order for these tokens to have true value, in order for these cryptos to have true value, they have to be utilized. People have to want to use them and then buy more or get more or attain more. If you look at the US dollar as a perfect example, the US dollar, yes, people save them and put them in savings accounts and they get benefit back for doing so. But the real reason why the U.S. dollar is valuable is because you can go out and buy bread with it. You can go and buy food with it. You can go buy a car with it. And when you go to work, somebody will give you more of them (laughs) so they can buy more food, more cars, more house, and, and you can do more things with it. That's the only reason why it's valuable. And I think that that's the necessary education alignment that people need to see when it comes to cryptocurrencies. And that's what's come to the fore over the last year. It's been less about this gold rush. Let's go out there and get all this money and make a bunch of uh, big return on our money and then sell out for USD, but more like let's get into this network and utilize it for what its purpose is for.
0: Sure. No, that it is an emerging system. There are lots of unknowns and uh, that's where, you know, there are complex challenges emerging. And uh, the example that you gave about Venezuela, that's an interesting case study, you know, about cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And uh, that makes us... Uh, ask the question that uh, have we reached the stage where even any nation can rebuild its entire financial system effectively using blockchain technology? I guess we were not ready and uh, Venezuela was certainly not ready and they went after that and uh, I I believe, you know, that. uh, lot of complex, uh, serious challenges will emerge for that nation and its citizen because uh, the cryptocurrency was not ready and the system (coughs) was not ready. But uh, do you see that there are any blockchain technical, non-technical issues other than the ones that we have been talking about, that education and awareness and, you know, the very nature of the cryptocurrency and this new emerging system that still needs to be resolved before any nation can redefine and redesign their entire financial system using blockchain
1: yes and and the the big one is associated with the transparency issue it's like who controls the currency who controls how it can work and what the programming is behind it and how it's initiated and how it's implemented um, <clears throat> there's a there's because it's a technological issue because it's a programming issue because Somebody who goes out there and they type up some code and they create a cryptocurrency because that act of creation is is very a deliberate act by an individual or group of individuals. It looks very easily like a cryptocurrency. Say for example, like Bitcoin could be manipulated by somebody. Could be controlled by somebody that someone smarter than they are or with more control than they have or with more knowledge than they have could do something to devalue their crypto, or for worse, could increase the value of it. So you have people that are making buying decisions on some of these cryptos based off of what one individual or a group of individuals can do with it. And what that does is that points towards the biggest (coughs) conflict of interest that, that, that blockchain technology has. It's supposed to be decentralized. It's supposed to be something where... You know, no one individual can determine its course or action. And the only, the, the, this, this weird, uh, um, kind of double mindedness that the, that the, that the, uh, industry has is really its secret big problem. Because there's a lot of people out there that will, t- if you talk about Ethereum, you start talking about Vitalik, you start talking about, um, uh, uh, a, a variety of individuals who, over a period of time, have had a tremendous amount of influence on the growth of the currency. You know, Vlad, for example. You know, all these people that are creating these systems around this cryptocurrency—they're—they're, they're, for lack of a better way to put it, they're like the Federal Reserve. When the Federal Reserve says that they're going to increase rates or lower rates or and add a program or, or do something, it affects the vibrancy of that currency. And one of the biggest concerns that people have about you know, uh, currencies that are run by governments, say the USD, or even like what happened in Venezuela, is that the government has so much control over the value of that currency and how it is valued based on the strength and vibrancy of the economic policies of the government that is in charge there. Now, the problem with crypto is that we've been saying and waving this flag for years that this is about freeing ourselves from that. And what we have seen and what was evolved over the last year is that more political fights have happened because of cryptocurrency. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that everyone wants to control it. Money, Money is power.
0: Yes, each nation and its governments, they are always going to try to uh, control this emerging uh, digital uh, system. And because there is a, it's just like internet, who controls the internet? It's just like that. people, nations and its decision makers are trying to control blockchain because that's where the uh, growth is in the coming years. But uh, from what you are telling me, it looks like that uh, the decentralization, you know, what... uh, the innovators and the the blockchain stakeholders or cryptocurrency stakeholders were hoping for. It's not coming in the exact same format that they were hoping that it would be. But there's always going to be some sort of governing body. I mean, irrespective of which emerging technology we are talking about, there is going to be some control by nation's decision makers because there is a lot at stake. So when we evaluate all that, it seems that... uh, as everybody is trying to get into this everybody is trying to get uh, uh, control of that there needs to be a there is a role for standards and uh, that could support the role of this blockchain uh, rollout of this blockchain technology so from your assessment as you have worked in the with the several initiatives uh involving blockchain do you see that we have optimal standards and regulatory framework that can Support the rollout of blockchain technologies, irrespective of uh, which nation we are talking about.
1: Yes, and I think that that's the key point. I think the key point in involvement of individuals and governments and in 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 organizations is to help establish standards and oversight and um, uh, transparent in a transparent way. Um, for not just one particular blockchain or one particular distributed ledger technology or one token ecosystem, but all of them, that that there should be some uh, establishment of what the core beliefs or the core standards and requirements are in order for these systems to be, you know, to be considered uh, viable uh, and and legal, if as it were, in a sense. Now, it makes it difficult when you start talking about legal issues or, or regulatory authorities because who are you controlling? Who are you going to punish if they don't do the right things? Who are you going to call and hold accountable for the actions of a group that's supposed to be decentralized? For example, you know Embermine is, is a company. We're a developer. We're developing in these arenas. And we are going, going, we've released our own cryptocurrency, we've released several cryptocurrencies. We've helped assist several different organizations in releasing cryptocurrencies and establishing networks. The question uh, that comes over and over and over again is how can you trust that these systems, these organizations, these networks are going to actually do the job that they're supposed to do? And this is where oversight comes in. This is where regulatory authorities can come in and they can provide education. They don't necessarily have to be the ones that are knocking on doors and holding people accountable. They're the ones that establish the standards for the public to understand what they should be looking for. It's kind of like consumer reports in the United States.
0: Is that consumer what, report- what the role of uh, the standards would be The you know to sort of uh be like you know consumer protection or you know education awareness because i think they can do much more than that they there are so many issues that needs to be addressed if we want to take the blo- blockchain uh, initiatives global or if we want the scalability you know or effectiveness uh, to work throughout, you know, irrespective of, geogra- ge- you know, nation's geographical boundaries. So there are a lot of different technical, non-technical issues that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, can, that can be addressed by the development of blockchain standards. I don't think uh, that role probably would end up becoming like more of education awareness or, you know, consumer protection agency.
1: Yeah, there's there. It's weird. There's 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 both consumer protection requirements that need to be put into place so that people understand, you know, what kind of red flags to look for when they're operating in certain environments. Um, but I think more importantly is addressing the similar things that the internet went through when it was going through its initial growth stages. This, how is it going to establish, who is going to establish the relationship between the various bodies that are promoting these technologies and the governments that wish to manage and regulate their authority in their various governmental spheres? This is, this is, this is probably the, the biggest challenge for blockchain technology right now, is how to deal with that balance, because regulations go both ways. It not only holds you know, organizations accountable for the work that they do, but they're also supposed to provide some sort of standard that the individuals can apply on their own independently to determine the value or worth of something or whether or not something is operating effectively. The question is, is who gets to do that? Who oversees the overseers? I mean, it's we eventually have to get to a point where these systems are so decentralized and they're so networked amongst everybody that it's impossible for anybody one individual to affect it too much you know it's it 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 really is kind of a sociological experiment on a global scale that we're exper- that we're experiencing right now because Everybody can knows that we need to be able to have a way to do value transfer between individuals in a digital way that's secure. Right now there's no security in using your credit card online. I mean any security that's there is managed by one or two people or a group of individuals and it's and and all the data is controlled in one location, one resource. The 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 thing is, the more we try to control everything, the more difficult the problems come from trying to maintain that control. I believe that the best way about it is to have several ad hoc groups, like the one that you're trying to put together, uh, that you're working to put together to help define what this technology is supposed to be like, so that people can go out there and utilize their own intelligence on whether or not... And well, they're like, well, over here they say that these are the type of things that we need to look for that indicate that there's stability, that there's patterns of, 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 of uh, strength here, that there's not somebody back behind the scenes trying to manipulate this. And put it more into the individual's hands because each individual making a choice of whether to participate in the network is where the power is. Their ability to choose that network that they want to participate in like
0: but James, you know, there are also a lot of complex challenges emerging from that because see this blockchain initiative, any initiative is not restricted within any single nation anybody can take part from any. Right country from all over the world and when we are talking about so many different nations so many different initiatives so many different internal governing bodies are trying to you know nations and these decision makers trying to come up with their own standards their own way of doing things you know defining architecture defining how smart contracts should be defining even the, the consistent terminology what what we in in United States uh, can be calling some things uh, in blockchain uh, could be you know called different you know in different nations. So there is uh, the, it seems that there is a lack of consistency and there is a lack of uh, ag- common terminology. This nobody not every nation is speaking the same language as far as blockchain and you know all its variables go, or its technology, non technology, architecture, everything goes. So. It seems that there is a need for consistence and agreed terminology. Do you see that based uh, on your experience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There needs to be, I I think that there could be multiple standards too, just like for whether it be like plumbing or architecture or electricity or any other system that, you know, where local and state and federal governments establish code that, you know, in order for you to, to, to kind of get a passing code in order to get, you know, the green light and, and, and cover your regulations. You have to design your electrical systems in a certain way so that they're safe, so that they protect people. Because electricity, we use it in our house every day, but it's easily the most dangerous thing that we have in our house. I mean, you, I just had a unfortunate situation. A friend of mine that literally got electrocuted by their, uh, by their light switch because it wasn't wired properly and they touched it with their hand and they got zapped. I mean, there's fine, but I mean, if somebody had inspected that, if there were certain standards and there are, if there are electrical code standards that have to be followed, mistakes like that cannot be made and whoever installed that and whoever created that bad situation will be noted. So where you cannot necessarily control all of the blockchain, you can control or define standards by which it can be applied. And because individuals are the ones who apply it and because of the transparency offered by the network, you know who installed a certain set of code. And if it does something that's illegal or does something that's dangerous or something that creates problems for people, the individual who installed that code can be held accountable for it for introducing that that something that doesn't follow according to those standards. So then we say, well, how do we understand the standards? How do we define them? And I think that it starts by creating groups like the one that you're creating, where groups of interested individuals come together and debate the topics about what is being done. I'm a producer, you are also an influencer. There are other producers and creators that you've had on your show. When you bring these individuals together, these are the people that are putting the, the the technology out there. These are the people that are creating these systems and the programs and the apps and the and the access to these technologies. They're the ones that need to understand what standards need to be applied and they're the ones with the experience to know which ones are the beneficial ones and which ones are not. And over experience and time, we can also define new standards over a period of time. So it has to be a growing living thing because as the technology advances, as more people become involved, the, the the necessity of understanding what is proper and what is not needs to become more firm, needs to have a longer history to it. Like I said, with electrical systems as they're developed, not everybody knew everything that was going to happen. When people first started putting electricity in their houses, but as soon as you know houses were burned down, people died, people got hurt and injured. They said, "Well, we can't do it this way anymore." So they established standards to avoid those bad practices. So the idea is creating a set of standard practices that is assumed that anybody who is participating in these technologies will adhere to, and that those who don't, it will be obvious because it is a transparent system. Now, the question is, who decides who, Yeah, like an individual can be completely anonymous and release code, but we can also say this doesn't fit according to certain standards and therefore it may be risky. Use at your own risk or use caution or don't use it at all. We can make those assessments. We can try to make those pronouncements by using our experience that we have collected by all the people who are providing the good solutions that exist out there.
0: Sure. No, I I understand your point. Now, it seems that, you know, a lot of different nations are trying to come up with their own set of standards. And it seems since blockchain standards are likely going to play a role in shaping the future of this technology, where do you see the relationship between, especially if you're talking about smart contracts and law and regulation, and with, uh, with with the blockchain standards, where do you think it's going? Because that's where I think the biggest uh, focus is going to be: the legally binding smart contracts.
1: Yeah, that is a huge thing. And and I believe what's going to happen is that what defines a legally uh, uh, binding smart contract will be defined by local, state, and federal authorities on, on and, you know not only in the United States, but globally. I think that part of the problem is is the reticence that the SEC has had uh, recently in truly pursuing a, a hard definition on what that is. I think a lot of people have been waiting with bated breath for the SEC to try finally set up a standard, either to get in or get out all the way. And I think that that's part of the thing. I think one of the the issues I think that we see developing here is that there's going to have to be some organizations that stand up and take a solid leadership role that are backed by some form of governmental control or governmental oversight or uh, um, uh, or what have. You. It's, just, it's tough because the whole purpose for why a lot of people have started into these technologies is to avoid government oversight, to avoid government control. And I, I I always go back to the internet in the early 90s, is they were having the same problems. People wanted the internet to be free, to be open, and to be have access and resources to be available to everybody and not get taxed and not be under government scrutiny all the time and everything. But they realized that in order to operate within the realms and protect people properly, from the scams and from the things that could exist out there that could hurt people, there has to be some level of control. There has to be some standards. And I think it's only when large governments like the United States or China or, or the, you know, Russia or like Germany, Great Britain, what have you, these large companies, these large uh, governments actually take a stand and say we are going to accept cryptocurrencies, but these are the levels that we are going to accept them on. This is how we're going to do it. I think that that's the final thing everyone's waiting for because until they say their piece, we don't really know which way to go. Are we going to be completely decentralized where all the standards are produced in house by the group itself, by the network itself? Are they defined by the network? Are they supported by the government? When somebody loses, their life savings because they invested in some crypto and it turned out to be a scam, who can they turn to? Who do they turn to? Whose responsibility is it to hold someone accountable? Once you start answering these questions and providing the answers, it isn't only going to define the future of cryptocurrency, it's going to define cryptocurrency itself.
0: Yes, because there is is always going to be need of uh, governing bodies that are tied to governments, because without that, who, how do we establish accountability? I mean, a lot of frauds would happen, you know, people's, uh, and when we are talking about cryptocurrency, it's basically, you know, we are telling people that you are your own bank, put all your money is in a cryptocurrency form, which is, you know, the keys are on your computer and it it could be on your mobile phone. And if you lose that, it's all gone. So how yep. do we, you know, allow, how can any nation allow that? Because this is, we are not. Uh, this comes to computer literacy, you know. The most of the people they don't have that kind of uh, computer literacy. So how can we allow all of them to, you know, be so vulnerable to their life savings and to their uh, financial security? So there is going to be a need for government involvement, uh, uh, irrespective of whether, you know, this community is welcoming that or not. There is going to be need because somebody needs to be accountable. And the kind of accountability and backing that uh, any Financial system is uh, looking for only probably governments can provide, but we, time will tell. You know how this shapes up. But blockchain's tech potential as a technological game changer is ex- I, not just you know. Yes, you were saying something.
1: Oh, well, I was just going to say real quick. I think that the big key here is is how the United and and and, and it sounds very uh, uh, nationalistic to say this, but it's. It's going to come down to to what the United States does with cryptocurrency, ultimately. I mean, you know, China is of the China government. is
0: also very big in this game, and Russia so is Russia. Uh, there are many countries. Even if we not only not, not only the cryptocurrency, but if you're talking about blockchain, Russia is very aggressively trying to establish uh, the. the uh, blockchain standards, so is China, you know, everybody is uh, trying to jump in this game. Australia is also working on that. So uh, it will be interesting to see who is leading the effort, you know, is it going to be one nation that will dictate all the terms or is it going to be a group of nations forming a coalition and, you know, come up with the standards? So it's going to be interesting how this is uh, even the blockchain standards develop.
1: Well, and, and it's like the popular kid in school, okay? You know, if there's a trend going on where, you know, like the kids in high school are wearing their clothes a certain way or want to and some people are starting to do it, it's not until the cool kid in school starts doing it that everyone starts going, oh, it's all right. We can go ahead and do this. I think that, you know, you know, nothing against, you know, the the other governments, but, you know, the Chinese government, the Russian government, the Indian government, they're all having their, their battles and their fights with cryptocurrency on their own terms. But the type of governments that they are and how those powers are put into place call into question their decision making in this regard. Like China controls their financial policy with a rigid fist. In fact, one of the reasons why the Chinese in the direction that they take with cryptocurrency is so important is because of their their amount of control they've already tried to establish over cryptocurrencies within their own borders. In the way that they try to control and manage the the narrative around it, even though they provide about seventy percent of the total hash power required for blockchain for for the Bitcoin uh, blockchain, they have a tremendous uh, schizophrenic relationship with that cryptocurrency. They don't want their people exchanging the Chinese currency for bitcoin and holding bitcoin they want people to hold their currency so they're trying to find ways to manipulate that and 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 having little success because of the natural resistance these networks have to that sort of governmental intrusion on the rush on the russian side you have the russians that are that are trying to do attempt to do the same thing but they want it to work they want it to be a national currency it's just having the means of being able to introduce it without having a problem that occurred in the Venezuela. Venezuela, as soon as they started saying, well, we're gonna to go towards cryptocurrency, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. So, as soon as that started happening, all control over their national currency went to complete nowhere. And the reason is because there was nothing in place to help people get from point A to point B. And I think that that's where that 's where the leadership behind the cryptocurrency is so important is that people need to tell people what to expect, what to get that this isn't a panacea that automatically cures all ills that this is just another form of currency that has to be utilized in the proper fashion, otherwise there will be some people that have a lot of it, and there'll be some people that have none and 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 now we're adding this second layer that this technology barrier is one of the things that's going to cause the problem, is that if you don't understand how to use the technology, you don't have it. Using a dollar bill in your hand is easy. You hand it to somebody and they give you something for a dollar. Using cryptocurrency requires these gymnastics that most people don't understand. Once we can make that easier, once we can actually make it so where even crypto itself can be a physical device that we can transfer privately between individuals, that's when we'll start seeing some significant change and movement here. But the United States government is going to play this, a huge role in this. I believe if the United States government ever got to a point where they decided that they wanted to make USD, a all the digital currency that's being held in US dollars, in the Federal Reserve System, and actually were to find a way to convert that into a cryptocurrency, you would see a, a enormous change in the way people view cryptocurrency and how the government can participate in making it easier. If you could take a US dollar, for example, and you could walk into a bank and hand it to them, and then when they take that and deposit that into your account, they're actually depositing usd as a cryptocurrency into your electronic account people would begin to understand how cryptocurrency can work in a global environment much easier like if if i use my debit card and i go out and i swipe it to get gas that is functionally not much different than using bitcoin to do the same thing if the bitcoin could be transferred with a swipe of a card The difference is, is the backing of the systems, the transparency of the systems and the security of the systems that are engaging that behavior. Because I could use my debit card in a bank or at a, at a, at a uh, gas station right now. And somebody could steal that credit card information and take all my money by using a simple card reader right on, right on the gas, uh, uh, pump. Whereas if I was doing crypto, it would be impossible for somebody to do that. You could have all my information, you could have all my data, you could have my account and everything, but if you don't have that one private key, you can't do anything with it. All you can do is look at it or send money to it.
0: Yes, I mean, this is, uh, the, there are so many variables that is going to play a role in defining who is going to control the digital systems of tomorrow. And that's where the battle has just begun between all these nations, and uh, time will tell who is able to control it i mean uh, uh, there are uh, there is a lot of intense effort going on uh, by Russia by china by i'm not sure how intense the efforts are in the United States, but I'm sure there is uh, uh, there are many developments happening but coming back to the point of development of standards, yes, is there enough support? for development of standards by the, you know, blockchain developers all across nations?
1: There there are, you know, the, the actual cryptocurrency development community is relatively small. I mean, compared to the number of people that are affected by it. Like there's probably, I would say, less than 10,000 truly, what I would consider to be experts or knowledgeable people, developers in the blockchain cryptocurrency distributed ledger technology world. There's probably, let's say like, I'm just throwing a number out there, roughly about, I'd say in the tens of thousands, there isn't hundreds of thousands, there aren't millions. There's like tens of thousands of people that actually have some knowledge in this area that can contribute to this discussion. I think that the important thing is that having this community constantly aware that we're looking for ways to find standards gets people to want to sit down and talk about it. Like you have generated a conversation around creating these standards. So you're bringing some people together. You've brought me, you know, we haven't talked in 14 months. And as soon as I heard that you were interested to do this, I'm like, I want to participate in this discussion because I feel like it's something that's very important. And you have had a number of people that you've talked to, you know, a couple hundred over the last couple of years that... All could participate in this and all have a voice and have a a, a way of of indicating that. I think what's important is that, that these discussions and that these participations are open, that anyone can participate in them, that anyone can see what's being said and what's being done, what's being discussed, and can participate with their voice and being able to say, well, what about this, and ask questions. Um... I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. If that, uh, I don't want to put a dark cloud on everything, but I think that what's going to happen is you're going to see several groups try to s- establish standards. And then over a period of time, we will find two or three of them, you know, maybe in different areas and in very specific arenas of thought, like standards regarding how it works with governments, how it works with taxes, how it works with With things like uh, property management, property ownership. And then on the other side, it could be about personal wealth, personal taxes, personal uh, responsibility, personal accountability. There'd be standards regarding code practices. For example, you mentioned how we are going to have legally binding smart contracts. Well, it begins with having the jurors or the juries, or the judges, or people who are going to be arbitrating these kind of information to be able to know and understand the technology itself. What is expected? What are the intended goals? And what are the intended outcomes? If we can't establish these even on a on a micro level, we'll never be able to do it on a macro level when we start involving governments. So it starts with having a defined course of action for each of these technologies in terms of What the actual intended goals and outcomes are supposed to be. People are going, people are in all markets, people lose money. Like whenever somebody is trading stocks or they're trading bonds, people can lose money. I think that this is the thing that makes people want there to be control is because they want, if they lose, if somebody loses $10,000 or loses their house or loses their life savings, they're going to, and it's because somebody did something wrong or demonstrably wrong. They want to have some outlet to be able to enforce that, to be able to get that back or at the very least punish those who are responsible. The problem is, is when you cannot point to one person who's responsible, how do you hold anyone responsible? And I think that that's the big discussion we have to talk about, is that how do you establish standards and enforce them to the unenforceable?
0: Sure. No, that is a big challenge. And uh, I mean, in, when it comes to any emerging technology, a lot of times the technology developers, they come up with, they define some standards like community standards. So do we see that in blockchain uh, Develop, with blockchain developers, Do have they come up with any community standards or have they come up with any technical standards, what it should be, what it should not be, how to, you know, secure it, how to, you know, do privacy, how to authenticate, uh, what kind of smart contracts, you know, how all these kind of, you know, different uh, questions that needs to be asked, have, is the community aggressively or collectively coming together to come up with, you know, defined standards?
1: Yes, a lot of this is already happening and it's been happening for some time. Problem is that the technology is evolving so quickly that by the time they establish and agree upon standards in one area, something else has already completely changed that also affects that. I mean there's so many, like you said, you know, this is a growing process. We're never going to get it perfect right away. There are going to be mistakes made. There are going to be people who will find you know chinks in the armor to 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 take advantage of uh, 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 of of certain situations and even people. I, I think that ultimately how this all plays out comes down to one thing: being flexible, being able to understand that there are standards that we can put into place now that. Address the here and now, but we always have to be willing to look forward to the future what's going to happen what's going to change what are the actual goals here I think that I think that it's easy to obscure the the the, the reality of what people really want to have happen here by talking about issues that could happen that are unlikely to happen you know yes we have to we have, you know it's it's like everything that there's a combination of freedom and control that has has to happen here it's like gun control in the united states it's like you know you can't assume everybody is going to do something bad but at the same time when somebody does something bad it's very very harmful so you have to you have to weigh the rights of those who who are doing the right things versus the rights of those who are to be protected from those who are willing to do the bad and it's difficult it's really really hard I think that the- the that most everybody understands what's supposed to happen it's holding those people accountable who are doing the wrong things that has been proved difficult because people could go out there and create a cryptocurrency and create a network and look like for all the world that they're completely and totally on board with everything that they're that they're doing everything the best way they possibly can and ultimately find out that they're not you know, and it's because we don't know what to look for. There is this technological barrier. there is this sense of of anonymousness that can occur with some of the players within the game. How can you hold somebody account- how can you hold you know Sir George the dragon you know online accountable for his actions and the words and the things that he says in an open community when you don't know who that person is? So I think that it starts also with having clear Um, uh, ownership of who is introducing this code. If you're going to introduce a smart contract, you have to be able to prove some level of identity within that network. I don't think that you can do anything completely free of your own personal identity and your own personal history. I think it becomes important then that where the standards start, it starts with the individual. How does the individual get involved in these networks and what is the requirement of that individual to prove their their um, their identity and prove who they are in this network? There's ways to do this which doesn't violate privacy and still maintain the decentralized networks that exist, that need to exist. One of those is where you as the individual are responsible for providing your own data, which is verified against the blockchain. So instead of logging into a website, for example, the website logs into you. Your data, the data that you have on your approved chain is, is 100% accurate and cannot be, you cannot change it. Like, for example, with, uh, uh, with your credit rating. We have very, you know, these other companies that have all the, you know, that manage credit ratings for consumers in the United States. They're a regulated authority, but yet nobody has any real idea how they come up with these scores or how they get their information, but they hold it all. And they control it all. The reason is, is because nobody can really trust the individual to be honest about some situations about their finances. You know, like if, if if my life depends upon getting this particular loan, I will do everything I can to get that loan, including lie and, and and or misrepresent information. If in the participation of my network, we're able to make it so where I am unable to lie about my history, if I am unable to misconstrue my history, I can just provide the information as it is and it is what it is, And I am adhered to only that data point, not multiple data points that I can use whenever it best suits me, but one data point. If I can do that and if I can participate at that level, then everyone has to participate on that level, which means everyone's history, everyone's knowledge, everyone's uh, rating, as it were, is independent of everybody else's uh, uh, involvement and only based on your own because we are going to be a group, a network of individuals who each participate and add value. But if we're able to lie about the value that we're adding to the network, we're able to mask the impact on that network we're going to have. And that's where the problems start being created. So I think it starts coming down to individual accountability and responsibility. For example, in my community, I'm a very wide open person. I've made mistakes. I've I've made missteps and everything like that, but it's wide open. Everyone can recall it. You can go online and you can find out all the information you can about me and my involvement with my network because I'm doing so on an open basis. But I'm doing it more so on an open level that most people aren't required to do in order to participate in my network. I'm not asking everybody to put their name out there, put their face out there, put their address or phone number out there. What I'm saying is that as a major participant in this network, I am a known entity i am a known quality people can look at that and they can evaluate that on their own terms some people won't consider that to be you consider me to be a, you know someone that they want to necessarily work with they want to work with somebody else they may want to work with you or someone else because they share values they share standards in that area so what i think you're going to start seeing is that standards will be something that will be unique to each individual network and then there will be a global set of standards that will be applied to various types of network. So there's Bitcoin network, which is more of a currency, it relies on on cyclical nature there's ethereum network which relies a lot on programming on issuing smart contracts on issuing programs they're going to have a certain set of standards and then there are the creative networks that are out there like for example embermine which are going to require a completely different set of standards how the individuals can release their content to a network because you know you asked me a question uh not that long ago it was like how do you prevent somebody on these open networks from putting out information or content that's considered uh, offensive or even damaging to individuals? You know, how do you protect, it's it's kind of like how do you protect somebody's right of free speech and at the same time, protect somebody's right to privacy? It comes down to common sense and uh, uh, the application of standards. If you're doing something, you're gonna eventually cross a line which means you're doing it the wrong way and you will be denied access to be able to do that again or be held under deeper scrutiny in future events that you participate in because of the past things that you've done. I think that what we're running into is a really weird um, development that's also happening as we become a much more global community where we have to start accepting people who have different values other than our own but that we all share one thing that I call the one true thing. This is the thing that all makes us connect together. If you're in the United States, we may all have different backgrounds, different racial profiles, different histories, different ideas of what is important and what's valuable, but we're all based, uh, connected on one true thing. The one true thing is that we believe in the Constitution, for example, of the United States, if you're in China, you believe in the leadership of Ch- the Chinese government, or within your community, or within uh, your global community that you're participating in. So I think it becomes down to when it, we, it all comes down to is individual accountability. Can an individual be accountable? Yes, you can be 100% private if you want to. You can be 100% anonymous, but there'll be a limitation on the anonymousness that will allow you to to penetrate into the network and utilize the anonymous nature. If you want to do more, if you want to participate more, if you want to have more influence, you have to provide more information, true information about yourself that people can rely on.
0: Sure. No, absolutely. I mean, we all have a role to play. Irrespective of, you know, we are talking about security or privacy or identity authentication in everything. We all have a role to play. So having said that, what would you like to tell our global viewers and
1: listeners? Well, what I'd like to say is that it starts with the individual. If you're going to participate in crypto networks, if you want to know more about smart contracts, if you want to use Bitcoin to buy something or Ethereum, if you want to be part in the Ethereum uh, network or the Embermine network or any other uh, cryptocurrency network, the number one thing that you can do is go and talk to the people. Find out what they're trying to do, what they're going to accomplish. Be well aware that... that, that there are multiple different systems out there that that operate and can be profitable in many ways. Some of them are profitable by buying a bunch of tokens and holding on to them till they're more valuable and then selling them. That's the easiest way to be involved. Some of them are involved because you want to be an integrated part of this network. It's like a, being part of a co-op or being part of some sort of uh, 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 group, like at your high school, like. You know, we have booster groups in our high school and each booster group for the band or for the football team or whatever it might be, the participation in those groups has a certain amount of, of uh, uh, accountability for each individual. If you're going to participate in a booster group, you're going to participate in a cryptocurrency uh, network, or if you're going to participate in, in a government, you have to vote. You have to educate yourself. You have to be aware of what the issues are and what the standards are and what's going on there. That requires involvement. That requires you to be personally accountable for your information. If you have a question and you don't think you know the answer to it, it's up to us to find the answer. And then ask the people who are touting themselves to be leaders to provide the answers that we require. That's the important thing is that Never forget that the individual still matters. Never forget that each individual has their own personal um, uh, motivations for participation. And they don't have to necessarily include yours.
0: Yes, very true. Thank you so much, James, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on blockchain standards and our global viewers. And listeners would benefit tremendously from the understanding you provided on the need for standards and the complex challenges the blockchain community is facing currently, so even if a single initiative benefits from the discussion we had today, this risk round of dialogue has been of service, and we thank you for that
1: Thank you so much jari for for allowing me to participate. It's always a a pleasure to to you know hear your insight and, and your tireless, tireless work. I'm trying to make sure that, you know, this technology provides a secure foundation as it's intended to do, as opposed to being something that could be a destructive force in people's lives. I really appreciate that.
0: No, well, thank you so much, and uh, we all have a role to play here. So the Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by Risk Group, is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies technology convergence and transformation happening across cyberspace, geospace, and space, we at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace, they all walk together hand-in-hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two all three concepts fit into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the Risk Roundup, to watch the Risk Roundup webcast or hear the Risk Roundup podcast, please go to com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of This of Signing off. See you next time. Thank you.